Good evening. Welcome to Politically Correct, Politically Incorrect podcast tonight. Tonight's topic is Economics 101, Understanding Cash, Crypto, and Barter. Brought to you by EternalAffairsMedia.com, also known as EA Truth Media. Your host tonight is myself, Andrew Schechter, author of Darkwater, Game Over, and two-time delegate for Donald Trump to the Republican National Convention. Please help us with a donation at donate.eamedia.online or by buying some bling at store.eamedia.online. Please help keep the truth online now more than ever. Open with a brief prayer as always. Heavenly Father, tonight we pray for our great nation, for all our great citizens, for all those humans under your control and charge who make up this great world of ours. We're living in a time of uncertainty. We need you to get us through this time. We pray that you can give us the strength to survive the economy coming before us, to survive the hard times that that we might anticipate, and bring us through to glorier days In your heavenly name, we pray these things, O Lord. Amen. Donor list uh, tonight is the same as last week, and we give our great general thank you and shout out to our patrons, those who have supported the podcast, Lisa, Reverend Dave, Alicia, and Catherine. And just a quick update, and apologize for the kind of crazy opening. I had all my books and papers just fell all over the floor. Not not big on the these electronic mediums and get, getting too old for that. And it's hard to teach an old horse new tricks. Um, so I had kind of had a little mishap there coming into it, but we got we got a good start off. Good connections tonight. We should be a, have a good show. And just a, a quick uh, synopsis of understanding cash, crypto, and barter. We're going to talk about how and why our economy works and how it might come crashing down how tens of thousands of times the actual world bank balance can be in play at any given moment. Why money works, but it's all in the eye of the beholder. All as the magicians say, smoke and mirrors. I open up, looks like we have a pretty good, Good crowd in the in the studio tonight. I'm going to open up with a little bit of a, an intro as to where this uh, started from, the idea came from for this uh, podcast. You know, this p- pandemic has completely destroyed our economy. And it's getting worse, and we don't even know it. But there are a lot of unanswered questions, a lot of questions that people have about the monetary supply. People ask about how fiat dollar works, how these new cryptocurrencies work, even how barter works. They're all interrelated because all transactions of value function the same in society. You know, the Amish have a, have a really great plan. There's really no internal economy with the Amish. Everybody helps each other. When a farm needs the field needs to be plowed and help is needed, other farmers come and pitch in. When a supper needs to be made, volunteers are rounded up. 
cash doesn't really play a part in the Amish society. I think they have the right answer there, maybe. But for most of us, we rely on this fiat currency, this made-up system of economics, the Federal Reserve, the World Bank, that control our funds. Open up, a lot of this was based on a book I wrote initially back in 2018 when I was running for Congress. The book is State of the Economy, The Failure of Healthcare in the U.S. And how the two were related is kind of interesting because a lot of people talk about um, how the um, healthcare system has failed us. When actually it's not the healthcare system that has failed us, it's the economy that has failed us. You know, Japan has it right in many ways. Japan, in Japan, 90% of the workforce continues to work up to age 65 and beyond. Most of the workers in Japan work up until they die or until they hit the 90s or incapacitated. Many other countries are similar. But in the United States and in the UK and a few other nations, we've failed ourselves completely. One of the biggest failures was a failure by Richard Nixon in 1972 when we dropped an international gold standard and got the rest of the world to do the same thing. See, gold was the basis for locking in a, a set amount of value to the fiat, to, to, the, to the then dollar, which is now the fiat dollar, which is not based on anything. Used to be you could take your bills into the bank and trade them for gold bars. Can't do that anymore. Or silver coins. Not worth anything. It even says on it, it's not worth anything but the paper it's printed on. And there are a lot of things that control the economy. So one of the things that controls the economy is the number of people working and the number of people who are employed. And women, I apologize, I'm not being misogynistic, I'm being real and honest, based on scientific and statistical facts that when women started to join the workforce, primarily in the late 60s, early 70s, and started to become a two-earner households, and when minorities started to get back in the workforce, back around the same time, civil rights movement, we suddenly see two worker, two earner wor workforce. What do we see at the same time? In the charts that are in my book, you'll see that they're during the same time period as two workers enter the household, corporations see corporations work on a basis of profit. They look to maximize profit from the population who's employed. When you suddenly have a double employment, you don't get richer. Prices go up. So in the 1970s, 1980s, the corporations started looking at the households and said household income. See, they base their pricing structure, they base their supply structure on household income. So suddenly, bread went from 50 cents to a dollar. Because now you've got a two-worker household or more. Suddenly, the price of automobiles doubled. Price of housing doubled. 
because now you've got twice the number of people working. You got twice the income. Companies can charge twice as much. Yeah, it's not fair. It's not a free market. It's not a fair market. Apologize out there in advance to the libertarians. I'm not fond of the current corporate system, but I am, do believe in what the libertarians being in, believe in in many cases. But I, I can see through the free market and the, and the uh, supply side economy. See, supply side economy is based on the trade of goods. But there's no catches to it. I trade you a chicken for a for a, a pig. You trade me a gallon of milk for a chicken. There's no back end shenanigans going on. And anyone can raise chickens and anyone can, can have cows and make milk. When you're talking the dollar, now you have this imaginary unit of quote value. That can be anything to anyone, anytime. Now you can take over the economy in many ways. And that's a topic for another day. Um, the supply side end of it is very important. It's important to understand where the value of money, where the value of goods comes from. So let's get to the nitty gritty here. Let's talk cash. You know, cash is king. What is cash? What is cash worth? What is cash actually worth? What is a dollar bill worth? Dollar bill is worth about one thousandth of a cent. It's not backed by anything. It has no use or value to any human being. Its only value is that we give it value by saying we will barter your labor or your goods for this piece of paper and this piece of paper is worth this many goods it's imaginary it's illusionary smoke and mirrors now we see trillions and trillions of dollars being pumped into the economy and yet we don't see that total disaster that was predicted we don't see that total disaster because most of that money is not being spent. You see, this is the key. Now, this is going to be the key to this whole program today, folks. What is value? What, what constitutes value? And a lot of people are thinking in the wrong manner. To understand what, why uh, your cryptocurrency is worth X dollars, why your dollar bill is worth so much, and why barter is only worth so much, you need to understand the value of things, whether it's gold bars, or chicken, or a house. So let's start with a very simple analogy. So if your parents bought a home in 1950 and spent $10,000 on that three-bedroom home in a nice cushy suburb, and you've kept that home, your parents gave it to you, and now you're living there with your kids, the question I would ask, and I'm going to give you a minute to think before I answer. You don't have to respond, but you can think of your answer. So you, your parents spent $10,000 on that home. You put no more money in it other than keeping maintenance up. You're in a neighborhood where houses now sell for $300,000. What is your home worth? What is the value of your home right now? Now think about that. Seriously, think about what that answer is. 
And no, the answer is not $300,000. The value of your home today, that home you're living in, is the value is the, what your parents paid for it, $10,000. That home is worth $10,000 until you choose to divest yourself of that. When you sell the property, the value becomes that which another person is willing to pay for that home. So maybe it's $300,000 or maybe the housing bubble bursts and now it's only worth $100,000. See where I'm getting at? And this is why the economy works because your money is based on what you paid for things. It's based, it's based on whether or not you are moving the value around. Indeed, in the world right now, there's about a trillion times the amount of value about a trillion times the value, in other words, the total amount of currency circulating in the entire world, over a trillion times that is spent every year. Which is why you can see people are investing in this, investing in that, they're buying a home, they're buying, they're buying food, they're buying cars, but we don't run out of money because that same money gets recirculated. I buy the car, the car dealer buys, invests in his dealership, he buys more cars, he sells to more people. It's the same money being circulated. But guess what? That car you bought or that house you bought isn't money. It's now garbage. It's now a piece of steel on the road. It's now brick and mortar with no value whatsoever except to somebody who might want that value. It's not worth cash. It's not in circulation. So you can have trillions and trillions and trillions of times more value then you have cash floating around. And that's important when you think about what's happening right now with all the stimulus checks going out and people lousy in cash from the pandemic and staying home. And most of them are investing that money or dropping it in quasi investments like cryptocurrency. When you buy that, let's say you buy into, you know, one of my big things is this Dogecoin now. I've don't know where it's headed yet, but hopefully it's headed for Pluto, if not Andromeda. But I bought it at seven cents for the most part. It's going up to about 60. It's down to around 50 something right now. But all that coin I've got right now is worth seven cents. The ticker shows I have thousands of dollars in my account. But the, the shoe could fall off tomorrow and it could drop back to seven cents just as easily. Point is that that coin is out of circulation. That coin that I purchased is out of circulation until it's sold. Now, when you hear about these things called bubbles, let's talk about the housing bubble. You see, people thought it wasn't really a housing bubble. It was a mortgage bubble. People were buying and buying and buying and prices went up and up and up and people over-mortgaged themselves. And then the shoe dropped. Suddenly there was no more mortgage money. People were trying to buy houses and sell houses and there was more people buying than they were selling. People couldn't get out fast enough. They've got dollars $600,000 house the huge mortgage, the bottom dropped out, and the economy dropped. See, there was no value to their home. 
The bubble bursts, just like in the Great Depression, when more people want than goods than there are goods, whether it's cash, gold, houses, technology, stocks. You know, interesting thing about the stock market is once you buy a stock, it becomes valueless. It becomes a number. It's worth what you paid for it. You might lose all that money, but it's still it's worth initially what, what you paid for it. You might lose what you paid for it. Or you might make out. The point is, if suddenly all that market goes up and everyone sells, guess what? There's not enough money. There's not enough stock and not enough money in circulation because everybody wants to sell and there's no buyers. Bottoms dropped out. The shoe's falling off. The market economy and economists count on the fact that only a tiny percentage of what exists is going to be used. Now I get into web hosting. My job, my uh, daytime career is in uh, web hosting and uh, domain names. One of the things that they calculate with web hosting services and email services is that these services will only be used about one hundredth or one thousandth of a percent of the time. And it's true. How many times do you use your email account? How many times do you hit your website? Now, when suddenly you get an Amazon or you get a Facebook or you get a Google, that breaks the bank. It's one of the reasons why you can't start a social media service because you require independent, uh, independently operating servers. And the cost, while you may pay $100 a year or $200 a year for web hosting for your personal website or your little business website, that $200 represents one two millionth of the actual cost of the servers that are, that are serving up your website because they're figuring you're going to only use that a millionth of a percent, uh, you know, one millionth at a time. But if you have to pay for that service or that connection, you'd be paying millions of dollars. If you required the full bandwidth of those servers, you couldn't afford it. So when you look at things like barter, I just read an interesting article about the, uh, about the Nordic trade in the, 15th, in the 14th and 15th century. Trading walrus tusks from Greenland and Iceland, bringing them back into the European into into Europe, and the trade went really well till the tusks ran out and the and the walruses died off. And they went farther and farther north. People still wanted the tusks. But it took hard, it was harder and harder to get them. They, that's when they started realized that you know elephants got much bigger tusks. Now, however you believe about you know these poor animals and you know, cutting off tusks to to make ornaments from that's irrelevant. The point is that this is history. This is what they did. Well, what happened was the Norwegians got pretty much screwed because it was much easier to get to 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 cut up one one elephant tusk than to kill forty walruses. Supply and demand. But the fact of the matter was that this material was utilized. And what happened at, 
in, in the late 15th in late 15th century is that various forms of synthetic materials replaced the tusk that they were using because the tusks were hard to come by and expensive. Now there was no more market for that. While there was tons of tusks laying around, there was no one to sell them to. Never know what happened to those old Nordic traders, whether they died off were lost to history for some other reason, but their trade failed. So what happens with something, say, like cryptocurrency? Cryptocurrency, they you mine cryptocurrency. It's just like printing dollar bills. So when you mine the currency, you create coins. The miner gets paid with coins. They're put into circulation, and they're available to be obtained by invest in coin investors some uh, coins like bitcoin have a limited supply others like ethereum and dogecoin are not capped they're unlimited the value is what is the perceived value of the investor is if the investor believes that there to be value why is the cryptocurrency no different than a piece of worthless paper So you buy in, and nobody wants it because nobody knows what it is. You buy in at a tenth of a cent, and there's cryptocurrency or less. Then you buy in at a penny, then 10 cents, and maybe a dollar as it goes up. And suddenly it becomes worth $50,000 like Bitcoin. Why is there no bubble? The bubble only comes when people sell. Remember that. Your coin is only worth what you paid for it. Your dollar bill is only worth what you paid for it. If you take dollar bills and stuff them in your pillow, come back 10 years later, it's going to buy half the goods. Because it's still only worth what it was worth when you put it in your pillow. So the coin that's in that's collected is, is not being used. Therefore, you can have in a cryptocurrency the entire value of the world's currency in one cryptocurrency and not run out of money. Because what's happened is that those people that bought in at a hundredth or a thousandth of a penny, tens of millions of coins on the market, technically, if, they, if everyone sold them, you wouldn't have enough money to pay all those people. Because now suddenly those trillion or billion or trillion coins you have in circulation are worth a thousand and ten thousand or a million times more than they were worth when they were bought the same thing happens with the dollar bill with currency if everyone went out tomorrow if everyone in this country took every penny they have whether it's ten dollars a hundred dollars or a million but every penny they've got in the bank and in investments cashed it all in and insisted on buying gold with it. Every bank, every corporation, and every investment firm would shut down. Because there wouldn't be enough money to pay for it. Not by a long shot. 
because that money is tied up. It's tied up in non-movable, stagnant blocks of, we'll call it wealth. You can say you've got all that money sitting there, but you may not have that money available. There's a difference between what you have in pocket and what you can buy with as opposed to what your bank account shows or what your brokerage account shows. Then there's a the shadow economy. Let's, let's drift off for a minute into shadow economy. The shadow economy, in my research, showed that there's over a billion dollars a year in, shadow, in a shadow economy, which is not taxed. And includes activities such as uh, trade or illegal activities such as trade in stolen goods, illicit drug dealing, prostitution, gambling, smuggling, fraud, and theft. And legal activities such as un unreported income from self-employment related to otherwise legal services such as flea market sales, barter, and online sales. Employee perks that are given out, dime here, dollar there, $10 here and handyman and do-it-yourself work. And a lot of that shadow income involves barter. Now, barter technically, well, legally, barter you need to pay tax on. If I give you a refrigerator, in exchange you come in and give me a dishwasher, the difference in price and the values of the two items, someone has to pay the taxes on that. How do you figure that out? I don't know. <clears throat> but that's in a part of the underground shadow economy. And it's done all the time. Hey, I'll come over and fix your fence. You come over and weld my, you know, gutters. That's wealth that was un, 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 unseen, unseen wealth, a shadow economy. Why is there a shadow economy? Well, for, first of all, to avoid payment of taxes or surcharges. This is caused by excessive taxation or an extremely complex system of taxation. People try to avoid things that are bothersome and cumbersome and are going to cost money. The more you tax people, it's been proven there's a sweet spot. There's a more you tax people, the less money you get in your taxes because people start to evade those taxes. Also, to avoid payment of Social Security, Medicare, or other social welfare payments, someone on so, uh, social welfare system or early uh, Social Security are going to work in the underground environment to avoid those taxes. To circumvent labor laws, including minimum wage hours and safety standards. To avoid the complexity of operating a legal business. You know, it's a pain to operate a legal business. I operate a legal business, and half the time, you end up paying more to run that legal business, then you would make an income and revenue over the course of a year. And to save on costs when the total annual transactions are minimal. So if you're making a couple hundred, a couple thousand dollars a year, is it worth it? Are you able to legally run a small business? You can't. It's not worth it. You can't. It's designed that way. That's why I say it's not a fair system. The corporate system it's totally unfair. And that's a topic for another day, but that's a, it's totally unfair. There is no free market in the United States of America. 
large corporations run the run the run and rule the, the nation and you can't work around them so people try to skirt that and they get they they get away with it And I'm going to give another another food for thought. And again, just just in your mind's eye, think about this. If you have to imagine of all the countries in the entire world, who the number one country, what the number one country is for shadow economy and for loss of funding, government funding because of a shadow economy. The one country in the entire world. Let you think about that for a minute. I'm going to give you the number one and the number two. I bet you said the United States, but you're wrong. Number one is Greece. Number two is Italy. Number three is Spain. The United States is down around 10. The illicit market, the main illicit market is in the drug trade, whether it's legal or illegal drugs, legally, legally, how can I word this, um, illegally traded legal drugs. Let's put it that way, because the cost of drugs, cost of drugs in, in the overseas and even in Canada and in Europe in particular is so low, it's not even funny. Huge trade in drugs. Can't do it legally in most cases, so it's done illegally. Dangerous, dangerous proposition. I wouldn't be involved in you know, drugs. It's just so uh, unbelievably um, dangerous to, to put in your body if you don't know what they are, where they're coming from. But they, but they do it. People who need the drugs do it. Healthcare, people go overseas for healthcare because it's cheaper. So I run into the, the, the title of the book, the, the State of the Economy, the Failure of Healthcare in the U.S. One of the things that I was pointing out, because I've always asked when I was running for Congress, people asked me, <clears throat> were asking me, what do you believe, what do you, what do you feel about government-funded healthcare, government-sponsored healthcare, you know, single-payer? And it's a tough question because conservatives will throw you out the door if you say you're in favor of it. The Democrats will say, yay, come on board, but they don't really want it either. Because universal health care would mean the elimination, essentially, of insurance companies. And Republicans and libertarians' big issue with it is they say that, n n number one, they say that you're going to be, you're going to have your health care dished out to you. And you'll be, you know, beholden to the government. And that's true in some cases. But how many people are on Medicare? How many people use Medicare? In this country, Medicare is single payer universal health care, and it's mandatory. You have no choice. You get it whether you want it or not. So don't tell me there isn't single payer health care out there. And the question I have for people is what's better to have the ability to go to a hospital and be looked at or stay home and die because you're afraid of the copay at the and deductibles at the hospital? You see, people don't think these things through. Now, this is not a topic on healthcare. My point today is economy. 
And one of the case, I have a, a chapter called The Case for Universal Healthcare. And back in 2016, Bernie Sanders did a, an estimation of the cost of the universal health care, who cost over over the course of 11 years, would cost approximately $57 trillion or $5 trillion a year. <clears throat> then it goes on that there, this is a Republican statement, and it's a fact of nature, that a fact of um, economics that the, 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 this compares to our current health care expenditures. This was in 2018 of $2.6 trillion per year. But you see, you're not comparing apples to apples. Because in reality, we pay $2.6 trillion per year, but that doesn't include the those who refused health care because they were afraid to go to a doctor. It's not taking into effect all the single-payer health care we already have, Medicare, Medicaid, VA, etc. Nor is it taking into consideration the number of organizations and bureaucracies that are that is requ are required to run all of these different healthcare services, both at a federal and a, st at a state level. The calculations that I did back in 2018 put the cost of operating all of these current bureaucracies and the cost of healthcare at almost $100 trillion per year, double what universal healthcare would cost. See, nobody looks at the facts. Nobody looks at all the ramifications. The fact that the VA doesn't utilize the same bureaucracy that Medicaid uses, nor that Medicare uses, nor the fact that Medicaid requires a state involvement and bureaucracy at the state level in order for it to run. And I bring that up because when you're looking at the, the economic situation, that which has value is only valued at that which someone is willing to pay for it at any given point in time. Very important statement. That which has value only has the value that a person is willing to give it at a given time. And that's what keeps the economy going because what happens is things start to break. You can watch, you know, I, I, I made a joke today to someone on Facebook. Yeah, I still connect on Facebook. It's a family thing. And I put up silly cat pictures and put smileys up. I don't do much else because they keep putting me in jail. But the funny thing is I made a funny joke because someone said, have you seen the price of chicken and meat at the store? They were going on and on about it. I'm like, hey, you know what? It's a fantastic time to go on a diet. Cut down what you buy by a, by a third. You'll lose weight. You'll look gorgeous. And they're going to realize you can't sell a steak for $30 and have someone buy that steak. They're going to ask you to cut that thing in half. And they're going to use it for three meals. So you're going to get a third of the money. Regardless, do what the big corporations do. Set your budget. Stick to your budget and don't spend any more. No one can drag that money out of you if you don't have it. When they realize you're not paying for it, they're going to have to lower the prices. See, we're a very greedy society. We want to buy something. We want the value to go up. We want to get the most value for what we, for what we buy. We want to go in and buy stocks 
for 10 cents and have them go up to $100 in a week. Then we're going to dump them. Boy, is that stupid. The kids these days are really stupid, too. You know, they're getting rich. They're getting stupid rich, too, though. Those GameStop kids, oh, my God. Took a totally worthless company and made it into a multi-trillion dollar international corporation. And now it's looking to, to go more online and make a ton of money out of it. And they're a whole bunch of instant millionaires. Yeah, right. And as my daughter says, GameStop sucks. You're absolutely right. But guess what? They turned into God knows what, into a monster. But by the same time, you're destroying other people in the process. You're mowing over a lot of people and a lot of and changing the economy and changing the structure and causing more damage than you're making in money. The fact is that we can survive a pandemic. We can survive a crappy economy. We can survive trillions of dollars pumped in the environment. If we, the people, we, the people of the United States of America, as it says in the Constitution, we, the people, lose some of our greed. If we, the people, fight back just like the game stoppers did fight big corporations fight the cheating stand up for what we believe in we can defeat this and we can win will we do this i don't know but we can and as individuals we can work with the economy we're given no matter how crappy it is And figure out, you know, in the old barter days, you had people. There, we had the blacksmith. You had the, you had the, um, the shoe shine kids on the street. You had the, you know, a lot of the barter went on. A lot, a lot of, a lot of people bypassed the big businesses. And that's something we need to do. We need to look at downsizing. We need to look at shrinking our demands. Shrinking our footprint, which will help not just our economic situation, but it will also help our environment. Will help our economy. Will help bring back the mom and pop businesses. These little businesses, little specialty businesses are very important. Because sometimes you need something today. And even though Amazon says they'll bring it in on a quadcopter, maybe they will, maybe they won't. But if you're not in a big city, they sure as hell aren't. None of those great services. Yeah, go find an Uber in Berwick, Pennsylvania. You go find a DoorDash in Berwick, Pennsylvania. Or Podunk. The new economy is designed for the city folk. The new, the Green New Deal is designed for city folk. Electric cars are great in the city, especially when nobody's driving cars in the city. 
Folks, they don't work in the rural areas. The economy for the city doesn't work in the rural areas. And this is the situation we're in right now. It's this, it's the cities against the rural communities, both for regulations and for this alleged Green New Deal crap. The fight is on. The fight is on for our survival as a nation. Our economy depends on somehow the cities and the rural areas working together. Doesn't seem like that's going to happen, unfortunately. Hi to you, too. Getting some more people on. For anyone coming in late, we had a really great... Um, had a really great show tonight, so you might want to backstep. It's going to be online, online live after about eleven fifteen. But it was a great um, show on the economy and on how money works and cryptocurrency and barter. So it's a great show to review if you missed the beginning. Just to let you know and welcome aboard those uh, latecomers. And we're just about to close up at this point. But I want to close up with a thought that ask yourself what you can do to save yourself some money, to save yourself some time and effort, what you can do to help your community. And one of the big things that I was pushing, especially in our area, in our community, is to try to get you know communities to work together. And you can attend your meetings and or even run for a counselor to, or your uh, um, township board of supervisors, whatever you might have. But get in there and 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 let them know that you want you want some money saved and you want to you want to you want to combine resources. I think the big the uh, biggest show in a nation is that that we when we show that we can cooperate as a as a group and. Communities can work together, especially in a rural area. It's just like the city. In a city, you're, they all work together because it's all part of the same structure. But in the rural areas, you've got all different communities. A lot of communities are, fair, are fairly close to each other. You can budget services together. You can work with each other. And you can start civic groups and civil groups to work with each other to save money. Now, if the school boards did that, and the school districts did that, Save a lot of school tax. So see where you can save. See where you can help your community. See where you can put your two cents in. Send the letters to your local representatives and say you want to save some money. You want to help the economy. That's your homework for next week. As always, it's been wonderful. My carriage is turning into a pumpkin. My stomach is saying it's time for dinner. For those who are regulars on this show, you know it's my supper time. And uh, we'll be back again next week. We'll go on again with this topic uh, in a little more detail and a little bit of the history of economics and how it affects us today and where we might be headed. This is an ongoing issue right now with all the trillions of dollars being thrown out. Will we survive it? Great question. That's why we have this show. Thanks again. I appreciate everybody showing up without your participation. Wouldn't have a show. If you have a dollar or two to spare, please uh, 
give it to us at donate.eamedia.com to help keep uh, the free information on the air and keep honest news broadcasting on the air where people can hear it. These things aren't free, and I donate myself because it's that important. And yes, God bless everyone. I said, okay, you took the words right out of my mouth, Joanne. Good to see you here, Joanne. You have a great evening too. God bless everyone that comes to this show and stay safe, stay happy, and stay positive. And we'll see you next week. You everybody have a wonderful evening. Good night, everybody.